Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. Hurricane Michael stormed ashore in the Florida Panhandle earlier this month. Lives were upended and changed forever. Millions watched the full fury of the hurricane unfold live on their screens. And today we are joined by three of the field reporters and meteorologists that covered the storm. The Weather Channel meteorologists Stephanie Abrams, Jen Corfagno, and Chris Bruin. We hear the stories as they take us through the before, during, and after of live coverage of a Category 4 hurricane. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and this is the Weather Geeks Podcast. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks good to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good discussion. Yeah, so, so, you know, it's a, it's a good discussion. This was a storm that really has impacted lives from Florida to Georgia, and you were all in the midst of it. So uh, I guess um, perhaps start with what happens in terms of once you get dispatched uh, to go out and cover the storm. What happens? Steph, you look, you have well, a thought a on that. a lot of people ask, oh, how do you know who gets sent, who gets sent first, who gets sent where? A lot of it's just scheduling, you know, depending on what show you're on, who's in town. That's kind of how it starts. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we, we're looking at the cone. We're looking at putting people in the in the point uh, uh, potentially of landfall, but also some of those outer reaching effects, too. So we go outside of the cone sometimes because we know the impacts go outside of the cone. Right. So you there is sort of a strategy yeah. to how people are placed Absolutely. based on where the cone and is. And inland as well. Right. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. you know, for our show, for instance, depending on we were when we were all in town, Jim was at the coast and Jen was inland. I was on a different shoot. So they had to wait for me to get back. I did a show and then went in. I think I was last actually uh, really to get in there. Yeah. And then Chris, talking about her. Hurricane Michael. I know. Now, where were you sent for this particular coverage? I was in Panama City Beach. It's it's interesting because when they're going through that process in my mind, I'm always thinking, okay, where are some pots that they may send me? But a lot of times it's never what I think I'm going to go. But this time it ended up being towards Panama City Beach. And the track forecast, at least um, the location of where they thought the center was going to go, was pretty spot on. Spot on. Absolutely. I, I, I tweeted something the other day showing the track versus projections. But one of the interesting things I understand is when you were sent down to Panama City, at the time that you were sort of dispatched, yeah. you were thinking this was a Cat 1 storm. Or yeah, I remember seeing the National Weather Service's uh, official track on Sunday. I was in church, and I remember getting the text and saying that uh, we need you to um, go down. I don't think you should be texting your, checking your text yeah. in church, Chris, but that, <laughs> well, that's another Well, originally, I thought I was going to cover winter weather, <laughs> right. so I was expecting a text to go to Montana or something so, like that. So you, so you but were still texting in church. Yeah. Yeah. Still being responsible, but yeah, you, yeah. you're going to have to, well, you'll have to cover that with a higher power <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> Sorry, proceed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just glanced down. That's uh-huh. how it ended up happening. Right. But, but I saw but, that they wanted me to be live on Monday morning. So I like uh, booked my flight out of Atlanta, wanted to get down at a decent time since we had morning live shots in Panama City Beach. And at that point, you know, I thought it was going to be a strong tropical storm, maybe Cat 1, maybe Cat 2, but that was kind of on the higher end. So I didn't bring any of the stuff you would typically bring as a meteorologist in the field for you know, major hurricanes. Like what? Like uh, propane, fuel canisters. Um, I am a big camper. So a lot of times if you're a camper, you can really uh, be on the the better half when you do lose power because you can cook meals with, um, you know, jet boils and uh, 
little camping stoves and things like that. So typically I always bring that just in, in advance of if we lose power, if we lose water. And I probably would have drove down there to get all that stuff down there if I thought it was going to be strong. That's what we ended up doing in Florence. Um, but, you know, I didn't think that was going to happen. And obviously if you fly, you can't bring those things. Yeah. So uh, it was very limited. Honestly, I got down there and I didn't even think I was going to have to worry about getting water or any of that. You know, I thought it was just going to be, you know, I had my, I thought businesses were going to primarily stay open for the most part. We are close enough to other areas where we could get food. So that and in the back of my mind, I didn't really think twice about that. And I remember my producer was like, oh, maybe you should go get some water. That night yeah. I went to Publix and I remember being on the phone and that was when everyone started getting the word that there was a potential tropical. I, I think everyone on the flight was like, oh, we'll wait till tomorrow, see what happens. Check in the morning and then we'll decide to see what we do. That's what a lot of people were saying. A lot of people that were on vacation for the weekend that were going back home to Panama City, they're all kind of thinking along those lines. Yeah. So four meteorologists sitting around the table talking right now and we just mentioned at that point, mm -hmm. Sunday, Cat 1, Cat 2 was sort of Which, on the radar. Yeah, but I would say still, if you're in the eyewall of Cat 1, you need all that stuff. Well, yeah. You know, that, you know? Exactly. But what, where I wanted to go with this, and I wanted all of your thoughts on this, what are your thoughts on the messaging? Because there are all of these sort of post-analysis now compared to Florence. And we, we talked earlier yeah. on, an, on an episode of AMHQ about this. With Florence, there was all this lead-up time, yeah. weeks of discussion. But there was enough time for people to make decisions with mm -hmm. Michael, too. But I think some people feel like they were caught off guard. Well, Jen, it, it was a shortened amount of time. I mean, this is the case with October hurricanes right. is that you, you have less time because most often they form close to home. And that's so correct. that's just inherent. You know, there's 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 less days in place for the track for it to move in. Um, and we do know that with every hurricane, it's an evolving situation. You can't look at the forecast and then come back five days later and expect it to not have changed. It's, right. it's going to update as we get new information. We learn more things about the atmosphere. In this case, we were watching very closely the amount of shear in the Gulf of Mexico. And the question was, was there going to be a window without any shear? And it turned out that there was a large window. But um, on Sunday and even on Monday, there was still that question. Yeah. yeah. And there was plenty of warm water. Yeah. Too. I was going to say, I just get, I get frustrated because any science, whether it's talking about, you know, when you're going to your doctor, when you're talking about meteorology, when you're talking about, you know, astronomy, it, none of it is perfected. And people all of a sudden, for some reason, feel like, oh, they said the cone, the strength, this is what it's going to be. That is not how science works. Right. So I would like to dispel that and get into, you have to pay attention when there's a storm, whether it's a hurricane or another storm. It's just not perfect. Yeah. It, it, from your experiences, are there, when you talk to people there, when you go out on site, are there these thresholds that people oh, need sure. before they decide to go? I say mm -hmm. Floridians say, oh, you know, cat three, I'll stay through a cat three and I would leave it's a cat four or five. That's kind of the gist that I yeah. get yeah. from people. I think a there. lot of people you know, would rather be at home without power than in, in you know, another location right. without power or, they, you know, they, but the risk is life, right? What is your risk to your life that, and livelihood? And yeah. a cat three eyewall, even a cat one eyewall, which went through floors, a cat three eyewall is different than being, you know, even five miles out of the eyewall. Your experience is going to be tremendously different. So I try to emphasize, if you're in that eyewall, watch out. And we saw that yeah. in the aftermath, like Panama City Beach, you know, it looked like a hurricane came through and then you go to Panama City and it looked like a tornado. Went right, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is really an interesting point because, you know, and, and I think Stephanie, you may 
have mentioned this to me earlier in the day. We have known for some time in the meteorological community that the track forecasts are better than the intensity forecast. For and sure. I think this is another case where that, that bears out. I, I've often said, for Michael, this is about as good as we could have expected for the forecast, given where the science is. But one of our models did snip it out mm-hmm. a little bit, the H-Wharf, mm-hmm. uh, which is a mesoscale model. It has better physics and things about it. But I think most of us didn't trust it. Can I, can I actually use this chance to talk about something that's Please. been on my mind after um, and after Florence, too, is why do we not have a range of intensity forecasts? We give a range in the cone, that mm. cone of uncertainty. Um, obviously, there's a midpoint, and, and that is the forecast you know, for the point of landfall. But we, we have that cone of uncertainty knowing that there's inherent error in the forecast based on the average errors from the past five years. So why don't we offer up that sort of cone of uncertainty in intensity or that range of uncertainty in intensity? That's, a, that's an interesting point. Any other thoughts on well, that? Uh, well, along with that, why don't we give ranges instead of just on wind specific? We saw in Florence, like, you know, it was a cat one, but look at the death toll. I yeah. mean, it was still higher than Michael. Yeah. I think it's a complicated process. I think that in the end, getting a range of the cone, a range for the winds, a range for the surge, it is a very complex process. And we're doing that now with these surge forecasts to try to give a better forecast. So, you know, hopefully we will give some sort of range. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I think I, I, one of the big challenges people often ask, well, why are the intensity forecasts more challenging? than the track forecast. Well, the, you know, the track forecast is governed a lot about the synoptic meteorology, the steering Wide, currents, yeah. where the high pressure is, whereas these intensification processes, it's what's going on in the eye wall, the inner, the microphysics. I also think and, we forget being meteorologists and doing this for as many years as we have. You know, what, um, you know, just a, a person who's not a meteorologist, how much they can absorb, how much they can understand. And of course, it's our job to articulate and, you know, make sure that they're getting that information. But it's a lot. It's overwhelming, I think, to somebody who's not a meteorologist. It's like when I go to the doctors, I get overwhelmed by all the information to them. It's very simple to me. I'm asking 1400 questions and I'm still like, wait, what just happened? You know, and have to ask again. So I think that, you know, even when it comes to storm surge, I can't tell you how many people ask me, what does 12 feet of storm surge mean? Like, what does that mean? Like how far up does that go on the coast? That's a great point. But I think with some of the new graphics coming out of the weather channel, some of this augmented reality, Mm -hmm. virtual reality type things that our weather geeks, executive producer, Mike Chesterfield and other colleagues are involved with. I think people have positive feedback on those because they kind of see it. But I want to kind of pivot back to something you said, Stephanie, about Cat 3 versus Cat 4, because that was kind of one of the things that I was talking about. You know, by Monday, I think it was pretty evident this thing was going to be a major, even if it was going to be a Cat 3. In my mind, I'm going to respond to a Cat 3 in the same way that I do a Cat 4. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but, there, but I, maybe I, not everybody would. Not, but, and that's the yeah. point. I think other people have different thresholds. Now, Jen, you actually flew over, I believe, and saw some mm-hmm. of the damage. Yeah. Well, just this, what, what were your impressions as someone that's been through and seen a lot of storm damage? Well, so we left Tallahassee. I was with the Customs and Border Protection. Um, it was a group from Detroit that came down, and they took us on an aerial tour. Because at this point, this was Friday, I took this aerial tour. It was very difficult difficult to get into Mexico Beach. Uh, and so they brought us in over the air. We were able to land on the beach so I could get on the ground and see the damage firsthand. And it was a, just from the air, it was very dramatic. And you you went, you went saw some damage to complete damage. Uh, and so there definitely was a gradient between where the, the true Cat 4 damage was and when you get out into Cat 3, Cat 2 type winds. And we know that the core of the worst winds um, is going to be confined to that eye wall. Right. And um, not everyone is going to feel Cat 4, but you have to prepare like 
you are right because what if there's a wobble in the track right and then all of a sudden you shift it yeah right and right that's yeah what i wanted to kid because yeah. like, let me set this up step because the word on the street is you don't scare easily no. in these situations that's <laughs> no. the word on the street it is that's true but you left i did this first time Why? i think i've ever actually left a storm i was in ike with the land i mean I, because here's what happened when i was planning to go out on tuesday we actually were going to stay in mexico beach and i could not find we could not find a structure that i felt okay even taking a cat three in right on the beach highway 98 from the, all the experience I've had at 15 years being at the Weather Channel, I know even I thought of Ike and the Bolivar Peninsula, which was a Cat 2 at landfall, and they were wiped out from the surge. I knew that if this just went over to Panama City, that surge alone right there on Highway 98 would have taken us out because that's where we found homes. And then just structurally, I was iffy. So we went over to Port St. Joe where we found a house that was 24 feet off the ground. I was like, okay, I feel safe here, even with the Cat 3, the water rise and everything. It was built in 2014. It had the latest and greatest of everything. But then when I saw that coming in as a Cat for and the potential, like Jen just mentioned about that little wobble, if it had wobbled in St. Joe and not Mexico Beach was in that eye wall, I'm not sure we would have made it there. And that's what did it for me is I guess it's my experience and my knowledge that it was literally Highway 98. We were on Highway 98 and I am glad I picked up my crew. We, we finished our live shots early and I told our producers, I called back to work. We had talked to other meteorologists. I was like, guys, we're out. Like if this eye wall goes over Port St. Joe, I don't care when this house was built. I know what it's like when the water's coming right off the water. I was fine with the wave and surge and everything, but just structurally a cat four, maybe cat five eye wall. No, I know what Andrew did. I know what all these storms did. It's not, it's not worth it. There's, these are people's lives and life. Are you kidding? I was out. And just a little context on your experience. Not only do you have experience just covering these storms, you grew up or spent quite a bit of time in Florida in South Florida. Yeah. And Hurricane Andrew is actually one of the reasons I went into uh, meteorology, right. um, you know, as a kid and it came ashore and I saw the damage after and I thought, how in the world did wind and, you know, rain cause this? So I saw it firsthand in Andrew when I was a kid and then just being here for 15 years, the damage from even I thought back to Florence. I was like, that was a cat one. I could barely stand up at times with some of the gusts. No way am I going to be on Highway 98. I think it's irresponsible to do that. It's not worth the risk. It's right. just not. Right. Any other thoughts from you in terms of just your initial experience? experiences, Chris, being in the storm. It was, uh, so we were in a brand new hotel. Stephanie ended up coming up. Yeah, to I came over City to Beach. where they okay. all were yeah. because it was like, you know, a huge solid, huge even sub- if the eyewall yeah. went. So how many know, weather channel we had sort of five, meteorologists were five within crews. that? I mean, I there was so, a yeah. good 20, 20 employees. Because there's not a lot of cities you see in between, mm-hmm. you know, like Panama City, even over towards Apalachicola, you'd have to go farther than that. So yeah. that was kind of the nearest big city with sturdy structures that right. we all felt comfortable right. in. Right. Yeah. And then I remember, I mean, we were in the eyewall or probably, we were part more so in the outer eyewall where we had maybe 100 mile power guests at the worst of it. Um, but even the sliding glass doors at the lobby were shaking. I don't know, you were probably outside during yeah. that. Uh, but I remember we were all just kind of hunkering down and you would see they had, you know, new fences that all got panels that got blown out. I mean, if you got hit by that, you're looking at yeah, know, the, the roof the of the hotel next to us started to tear away, wow. you know. Oh, I saw so, that. And yeah. then um, some of the other high rises lost windows. I mean, we ended up not having much in the way of structural damage, but all the rooms on the opposite of the ocean all had water damage. Right. Two inches of standing water inside the hotel rooms. And we weren't even in the eye wall. And that was right? just from the rain. Well, that, oh, no, yeah. that, that was actually not even in the eye wall. And I want to actually kind of pivot over to Jen because you were in Tallahassee, Florida. Mm-hmm. And I, I spent a lot of time in Tallahassee, Florida as well. 
And in a sense, Tallahassee was on the eastern fringe of the yeah. storm. Oh, spared yeah, the worst. Spared the worst, but still significant mm-hmm. damage, power outages, trees all over. I've seen some of the, the pictures. Mm-hmm. 90% I mean, of the town was without power the next day. And, right. you know, it, it doesn't take even a Cat 1 hurricane to cause. You can have strong tropical storm winds for an extended period of time, which we had in Tallahassee, to cause all those trees to come down and to cause those widespread power outages. You know, we went to Tallahassee because we wanted to focus on the inland impacts. And we know when we, you know, show up in a city people notice right the weather channel is there so things could could be you know could go be bad um we also knew that there was a chance tallahassee would be on those you know eastern fringes of it but there was what 400,000 uh power outages overall and we had about 120,000 of them so a big population were affected um in tallahassee now they're able to get their power back on much quicker not like cities like mariana which it's gonna take a week yeah a month yeah city in the panhandle but even kind of illustrates the point florida state university florida Mm -hmm. a&m state government closed down days Mm -hmm. before well imagine that eye wall it was still a cat three wasn't it into georgia Georgia, which i didn't even know about until after the fact could have gotten it that took that track it yeah, if it had exactly. shifted a little to the right, and that's what we have to watch out for. And there's no meteorologist that can tell you exactly where that's all right. going to happen. So right. we try to cover a wide yeah. area. Right. And the other thing can. was a lot of people evacuated to Tallahassee. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when you evacuate, you, you usually leave for the, the surge, right? And you leave to get out of that, that core of the strongest of the winds. Um, but you don't usually have to go that far away. So it's not like you have to leave Panama City Beach or Mexico Beach and go to Ohio, right? You just go inland. And so a lot of people evacuated to Tallahassee. Shelters were full. Hotels were full. Um, guests people had guests in their homes. Uh, and so we know that a lot of people that were there were not just residents who lost power. Now it's people who escaped the hurricane who are without power yeah, as well. Yeah, we actually, one of the University of Georgia weather stations in Donaldsonville, Georgia, down in southwest Georgia, uh, 110 mile per hour wind gusts recorded inland in Georgia. Yeah. So Doesn't surprise me. I, we saw trees snapped well and I, I drove um, because I was going in Tuesday and we wanted, we knew that there would be nothing left on the shelves. Mm-hmm. So we packed up the car. You know, it is not glamorous for us. There's no, no. hair and makeup out there i've been asked that before or my sister someone asked my sister once it was like no 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 no. like we're literally not showering for days if we do end up having water at a hotel which we did for like a day or two it's freezing cold or you have to boil water or too. right there's boil water it. so yes. we were using i was using bottled water to brush my teeth in the morning mm-hmm. um but you know we drove all the way down there with all of our food and water because it, it's just like and i think that it makes me i've always said this and i'm sure they'll agree i have become a much better meteorologist over all these years because I've experienced the fires, the floods, the hurricanes, the tornadoes. So I know what the people are going through. Mm-hmm. I can be more compassionate. And I also know what they need and what they don't need type right. of a thing. What yeah. I think when... You want to go ahead, Jen? Well, I just I want to say not just a better meteorologist, but a better communicator too yeah, about absolutely. how it's going to how it's going to play out. Well, I feel like so many people decide uh, evacuating based on the storm, and a lot of people are driven to the curiosity. And yeah, it's exciting to witness, uh, you know, a power like, you know, a hurricane. But it's also dangerous to put your lives at risk. And I don't think people understand. Every time people ask me, especially vacationers, there were so many vacationers when I was down there. They're like, "Okay, should I leave?" And I was telling them, "Look." This is going to be dangerous. And if you leave, they felt safe. They were on the high floor. Like, let's say they were on the 20th floor of a condo. I was like, look, do you realize you're going to have to go up and down those stairs? You're going to have power. You're, nothing's going to be open. You may not have water. And and then, of course, we lost all the cell service. So it was, you know, people don't understand how long that can go on. They think it's going to be a day and then their Imagine vacation will pick right back up. Imagine living in the dark. Up. Every mm-hmm. time the sun yeah. goes down, you That's know, it was so dark. Yeah. You could see the Milky Way in yeah, Panama it, City. Yeah. Right, because of no light pollution. No light. All, 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 and certainly our, our fellow citizens down in Puerto Rico certainly mm-hmm. know a lot about yeah. that for months um, of being without 
power. How how often do people ask you guys, should I really leave? So we, we go in time. and most of the time we're in an evacuation zone. Mm-hmm. And so you should leave because you're in an evacuation zone. But That's people say, say. They, they sort of wink at me. They said, but should I really leave? And I say, yes, there's yeah. a mandatory evacuation. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And welcome back to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm joined by my colleagues Jen Carvagno, Stephanie Abrams, and Chris Bruin. And we're talking about their experiences covering Hurricane Michael in the midst of the storm. Now, I want to go a place that's going to be a little tricky, but there's criticism of this type of coverage when you're Mm -hmm. on site covering. There are people that are writing about it, tweeting about it. I want to get your thoughts. I mean, you know, reporters go into war zones and cover yep. wars, and it's it's important. It's journalistic integrity. But what do you say to someone that says, well, why is Stephanie out there? Why is Jim or Chris yep. out there? Stephanie, what, what do you well, say? Well, I say, first of all, we're meteorologists. We are degreed meteorologists. We all have bachelors of science, at least, in meteorology. Yes. So we know the weather. And I remember back in Ike, there was a re- Porter and, and they were standing up there trying to discuss the weather. I'm like, no, that's wrong. Like, I know what's going to happen. I know that this side's going to flood or that side's going to flood because I know the weather. So I'm knowledgeable with that. I know to leave because it's irresponsible to be in a category four eye wall, you know, so I know the weather when there gets too much debris outside, I go inside, you know, there was um, several hurricanes where the debris starts flying and I say, I'm out and the weather channel backs us hundred percent on any of that. So, so there, there's no pressure at all. I mean, no. they, they're very much in back backing. A hundred percent safety first a hundred percent that is uh, uh, absolutely um and so i have the knowledge of what's going to happen and the reality is is we know the chances we take and we know what we're doing and that's that's what we decide you know and if that's not right for you that's fine and if you don't want to watch it because you think it's irresponsible or everything that's fine that you don't have to watch it and and that's it right i mean you you have the right not to go in there and you have the right not to watch it yeah but i'm, I'm at the, the point is i think that in other situations that aren't weather related journalists go into dangerous zones mm-hmm. to get the story and that's just the well a and of a world. lot of times the people who are watching are people who live there and have evacuated they want to know what's going on in their city and they're usually the first outlook is like the weather channel they can see images right during the storm instead of waiting to two days later when the pictures come out like if we you know back in the you know 50s when we didn't have you know yeah. but is there, is there I, think, a, I think your i think your comparison of going into war zone is is a, is a good one because it's it's showing people what's happening during the heat of the battle or the you know the worst of the storm um and it gets people's attention too just from a, a warning standpoint if you think about even before the storm hits when we go to a city people take notice and i think a lot of times it helps people take make preparations yeah. evacuate if they need to and so it raises that awareness so there's that importance and then during the storm people have this just inherent curiosity Curiosity yeah. about the worst of Mother Nature, and if we can show it to them safely, because again, as Steph said, we are we are not taking a lot of risks. Honestly, we are as shelters can be. Our cameras have to be sheltered, so there's that too, right? So we're making sure that uh, we can keep the signal on the air. And then afterwards, we're there. We wouldn't necessarily be able to get back in to show what happened if we weren't oh, already there. And, and you know, 
people here at headquarters are trying to get as much information as possible, but there's nothing like a firsthand report and account of what's happening. That, and we that, can be there for that's that. That's actually a really good point about this notion of being there. So because the post story is just as important as what's going mm-hmm. on, perhaps even more so because you're in a sort of a recovery and a life-saving mode at that point. Uh, but I did see a couple of cases where I saw some irresponsible chasing going on with this particular storm. And so I guess the question that I worry about is, you, Stephanie, you started the discussion. You're professionals. You know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But I see people out there doing some things. They aren't professionals. Yeah. Even some of the reporters that are covering this aren't meteorologists. So they may not know some mm-hmm. things yeah. about sort of some of the turbulent flow or some things that may be happening on a corner of a building that you all like, may have insight on. I would feel on. uncomfortable going to a war zone. So I'm not going to go to a war zone right. because I don't know how to act or what you're supposed to do. Yeah. In these situations, again, I've been at the Weather Channel chasing storms for 15 years. You know, I have a lot of experience. And so I am as comfortable as I can be. And when I'm not comfortable, like I was in this storm, then I left to go to a safer place. So, you know, my big issue with this criticism is if you don't want to be in the storm, you don't have to go in the storm. You know, I'm taking full responsibility for myself and my crew, by the way, which is a lot of pressure, which is another reason I left. If these storm chasers want to go in, I mean, you know, what can I do? Yeah, that's a great point. No, no. Again, Chris, I mean, I, you all have been doing this a bit longer. I think you're of the, I'm the, the newbie, three, the, the newbie mm. at the round table here. Um, talk to me about what you're, I mean, once this thing came through and now we're kind of. And what you saw, storm. I know he had, you know, it was tough for you. Yeah. And I, you had never seen anything like right, that. And that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's where I'm going. I wanted to know, I mean, or someone has seen something, this level of destruction from a mm-hmm. storm, what were your initial thoughts and impressions? You know, um, growing up, I, I remember seeing the coverage of Hurricane Katrina. Um, I was too young to remember Andrew, um, but I, you know, seen the images, certainly. And I thought, I remember doing a spring uh, tornado coverage in Arkansas, and I saw F2 damage uh, that hit maybe five structures. And I was just amazed at what it did to a shed. I mean, no one got hurt, and I was just amazed at the power of the pine trees shaved at the base. And then you go to the aftermath of Hurricane Michael, and we actually drove down through Panama City and then got to Mexico Beach. And just driving, you couldn't drive a block without having to avoid an obstacle of some sort, whether it be power lines, whether it be trees. I can't tell you how, you know, the, they have huge acreages of pine forest, pine log forest. And I would say about 80% of it is gone. Every single tree was bent over. It's like being in a movie. It's the only way to describe it. it. I remember after Katrina specifically with the stuff we saw after Katrina, Cantori and I were sitting there and I was like, Cantori, I feel like I'm in a movie because there's no way way else to describe what has happened. Like it's that, I hate using the word unbelievable, but it's that unbelievable what you're seeing that you have to be in a movie because there's no way this could have happened. I felt the same way when we landed on the ground there in Mexico Beach and I had seen the pictures literally just hours before I'd been looking at some of the aerial surveys, but then when I saw it with my eyes and on the ground for the first time, it's like, this can't be real. This is, yeah. it is, it was just so devastated. And I think it was shocking to see how much you see tornado damage in, a, you know, a, a small very area. small area, but this was like that, the whole Miles. big bin, you know, the whole drive from Panama city all the way to Mexico beach. And I can imagine we couldn't get any further, but I can imagine to Port St. Joe and then even Apalachicola, it looked like that for that's a 90 mile stretch. Well, and that was actually a question I wanted to ask all of you, particularly you two, because you were closer to the coast at the event. Because we knew going into this event that this particular part of Florida is already vulnerable to Mm -hmm. storm surge because of the shape of the coastline and also the continental shelf and the way it kind of slopes off. Um, 
from your perspective, was it the wind damage or the storm surge damage that this damage that Mexico Beach really took more of a hit of or, or both? So Mexico Beach, both. Panama City, though, just as strong of winds on the western eye wall. And it shows you how symmetrical the storm was that the west and east eye wall were pretty symmetrical with those wind gusts. I mean, it was just as equivalent wind damage in Panama City as we saw in Mexico Beach, but they had the surge that Panama City did not. And the wave action on top. It's not yeah. necessarily the surge per se, because if the water rose up nicely and then went back down. It wouldn't have moved structures uh, off their right. foundation. The fact that it's always that wave action on top that beats these houses and wipes them off of their... Right. Jen, Jen talk to me about what happens post-storm or maybe even pre and pre and uh, during storm as well. I mean, if someone mentioned this, are people, city officials, others coming to you, the Weather Channel relying on what you're reporting or your resources trying to get information? Or do you find that that happens during these live coverage? We, we have a, a great relationship with, with most city officials and we have good conversations, but there's also a fantastic network of emergency managers and they're working with the National Weather Service. They're getting information from the National Hurricane Center and that, that official forecast is used to make their... Um, their evacuation orders and and their plans for where they're going to set up shelters, et cetera. But it's it's always a group conversation, and I feel like the meteorological um, community in general shares information really well, and and so the conversations, no doubt, you know, influence influence their decisions. But I think they make their decisions based on the National Hurricane Center and the National Weather Service forecasts. Have, has there been a situation, perhaps not in this storm, but where you've been scared? Hurricane Matthew uh, before the storm came in, but like but like Steph talked about with this storm, Hurricane Michael, when Hurricane Matthew was threatening uh, Florida coastline, and you know we had a Cat Five out there, and I was going to Daytona Beach, and the I remember the RPM model had it making a landfall right at us, and I called my producer the night before. I said I don't know if we should stay here. I think we should go across the bridge, um, and this was going to be my first hurricane. Actually, I haven't done a lot of hurricane coverage. It's mostly you know, been tropical storms well, from or the other, field. From the field, I've done yeah, a ton in studio. Oh, 17 I'm, years no, and no, 20 years. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah. really right there and staring down a cat four or five storm headed towards you. That's a fairly a different thing. Right. It, it was a very different experience. And, you know, we, we talked about it and we decided to stay given the chances that it was going to just parallel the coast. But um, it was awful close that night before. Now, the morning I woke up and started our live coverage and realized, you know, we were going to get the Western eyewall, if that. Um, and that was a bit you know, easier to take, but yeah. it's, and it's important. It's an important, as Steph said, uh, decision to make because it's not just you, it's your team, it's your crew. Um, right. and you're, and, and people watch what's happening, right? We oh, are yeah. on live TV. And so yeah. people watch to see where you well, are, when, how a, you're handling it. Being a newbie in this kind of situation. I mean, I didn't, when I first got down there on Sunday, I didn't see this coming. And then Monday, of course, everything changed. Um, I felt safe having all the other meteorologists at my same hotel. And then the fact that Stephanie came over on uh, Wednesday morning right. just before I made landfall, okay. I was like, okay, I feel I feel pretty good. We got Jim Cantore, we got Steph, we got the whole crew and everybody else there. So. Right, right. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
Welcome back to the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard, and we have a roundtable discussion about coverage of Hurricane Michael with Chris Bruin, Stephanie Abrams, and Jen Carfagno. These they were out in the field. These are degreed meteorologists, and at least one of you actually, uh, I believe you actually, well, two of you actually have spent time in that region, Florida. You uh, you grew up in Florida. You went to Florida State. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, you were at Florida she State was at for Florida a while. State too. Well, she doesn't like to, but she also claim went to that. Okay, that's but, uh, another story. She's a, she's a gator. Uh, we, I knew that was coming, but. <laughs> Uh, and I vacation there you, every summer. Oh, yeah. And, and, yeah, no, I know that storm. area well. You've, yeah. co- you've co- covered storms in that area mm-hmm. as well. So all very experienced with what goes on. Are there any lessons learned from your particular coverage of this storm, either meteorologically or in terms of how you would message the storm in general? Are, th- are there things that as we reflect back? I want to say from my experience, uh, just getting out there, especially on Tuesday, I remember going to the beaches of 30A, just uh, the sunset was unreal uh, right before Hurricane Michael came. So I wanted to you know, take advantage of the nice weather. And I just wanted to kind of get a, a scene for how many people left because there were those mandatory evacuations. And with given how quick of a notice, I mean, Monday was business as usual. Tuesday, everything shut down. Wednesday, it hit. Okay. Um, I was at Rosemary Beach, Alice Beach, and those beaches there, and it looked like a ghost town. Wow. It looked like a ghost town. It looks like everyone just literally packed their bags and left. Bicycles were still parked out front of their home, uh, and there was nobody on the streets, nobody on the people roads. People listen to the evacuations. I will I, I say So overall, I will say they I got the so. people, especially the visitors, out. Quickly. A lot of people and in Florida say, oh, well, you know, I'll stay either one, two, three. But after that, people left. I, I mean, think people so, did Stephanie. leave. I agree with that. And that's why I push back a little bit on this notion that, oh, this was people were caught off guard. There was plenty of time, I think. And people responded. I actually had some friends who their their whole family was vacationing there in Panama City. And I was saying, look, they might want to leave. And they finally did leave. But there was initial discussion about, well, we'll wait and see. But I wanted to ask all of you, because you've been there on the ground. Yeah. Is it real that there are situations where there's this point of uh, where it's too late to leave. There's not gas. The I lines, was close. Traffic yeah. Lines. I mean, I, I like we, it was coming towards us. We had to go right then and there or we were not going to make it How was that drive over. over? It was wet. I mean, we couldn't barely see, you know, and that, but I thought that was what we should do better than being in the potential eye wall of a category four. But what I will say is I always come back with guilt and I've felt this on all these big storms like this where I come back and I can take a warm shower. Mm-hmm. I can eat mm-hmm. warm food, which makes a huge difference. You know, we're eating peanut butter and bread a warm meal. I can get in a comfortable bed. I'm in my own surroundings and I have guilt. And I'm, I said to Jen, even mm-hmm. yesterday, or today, I, feel, I feel it too. You know, like what could we I have do. done better? Well, first of all, there's nothing you can do. Mother nature is going to wipe it out, but what could we do to, you know, help more people? And sometimes the answer is this mother nature is going to take their homes. Like I just feel terrible about that. And obviously there were some deaths and, you know, we were all discussing this earlier. I mean, we messaged mm-hmm. as best we can, but I always want to do better somehow. Yeah, at, at the time that we're recording this podcast, I think we're up around 30, 31 yeah, uh, fatalities, yeah. which uh, unfortunately they're uh, they're still assessing fatality and, and damage. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that number creeps up some. But if you look at the magnitude of the destruction yeah. here, uh, I think. Uh, the meteorological community uh, did what it could mm-hmm. do. But yeah. I can't get over the guilt of these people. No. I mean, I don't, I, I don't even know how you start over. A lot of them can't afford it. We left our pallet of water. We asked mm-hmm. you guys want our food. Like you leave anything you can. And mm-hmm. then, you them. know, you still, it's just, I always feel guilt when I yeah. come and back. And sometimes um, I, I think of this one girl I met the night before the hurricane hit. Her name was Karen. She came up to us and we were out late and I was like, are you going to leave? She said she had a one story home right on the beach. 
And she was like, well, my family's in Birmingham. I haven't decided yet. And I was like, look, you have a one story home on the beach. Like it's not safe to be here. Especially at that point, we knew it was gonna be a major hurricane. And I was like, if the surge comes, how you, you can't even get on your roof, you'll be blown away. Like you need to leave. And she said her family didn't care if she lived or died. And so she, I gave her a hug and she just started crying. Wow. She just started crying. And I think, um, you know, yeah, their house may be taken away, but sometimes just getting the chance to talk to these people, I think is the most lasting impact. I've gotten to talk to so many people before. And then after the well, storm, you wonder, did you see her after by any chance? I you didn't, always wonder, I, there, right? There's no way to get it. I had and no talk, service. Right. I had no, yeah. no way yeah. to yeah. even, That's uh, the other yeah, thing. yeah, that was like, the big what thing. What happened to these people that you connected with on right. some level? You right. Know? Right. Cause you, yeah, you build relationships, you interact with people and then, and a situation like this, you have no cell phone coverage, coverage likely, no service. And so you, you're kind of in this black hole. And, I, and that's one of the things I emphasize of why it's important to evacuate early. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, mean I, I know that gas supply, I, I was talking to a friend mm-hmm. in Tallahassee that was saying yes, gas. Yes, Tallahassee gas yeah. stations were running out of gas. Yeah, and so it is important to gas up early and also not do the whole top off thing. Because that's what was happening. People who needed to get out of town couldn't get gas yeah. because everyone's you know topping off, filling up. And they're just not ready for that kind of need and supply. And we bring in our own gas truck um, that, that goes right? around to all of our crews. Oh, yeah, wow. I put it on my Instagram and showed them get fueling us up and they just go around, they drive around constantly to all of our crews filling us up because, you know, we drive for hours. I mean, the morning uh, after landfall, we try to get to Mexico Beach. We drove around for like four and a half hours. I mean, you're basically out of fuel, you know, mm-hmm. when you're doing that type so, of stuff. So, I mean, that's an interesting point. It's something I certainly wasn't aware of, but talk about the three of you, any other things that might surprise listeners or your Weather Channel viewers that happen in this logistical challenge it of a covering challenge. a storm live. You've already talked about it's yeah. not glamorous. No. You bring no. your own gas truck. What are some other things uh, from your experience that might surprise We've someone? We've slept in listening? the car several really? times. Betta slept in the car uh, during this one, you Did know, because there's just there was no hotel rooms when they came up, you know, to Tallahassee or something like that. But, you know, th- we, we've slept in our cars before. I did it in Katrina. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, and that has happened, I know, to many, many crews. So things like that. Yeah. I yeah. tried to actually save my hotel room for him when I left on Friday and they, you know, they have all the lines been coming in. They've got, you know, all the, mm-hmm. the emergency support personnel coming in. So hotel rooms are a premium after a storm. Well, even yeah. in this storm, particularly, we have to think about how are we going to get a hold of the weather channel? I didn't know what time I was up or, um, how are we going to call in so we know when to go live and land things lies. like that? Oh, good point. Thank goodness people still have so, landlines. Yeah, so are you using satellite phone? How, how are you in the situation? How are you getting back Yeah, to- satellite phones usually are what we bring yeah. to this situation. Um, didn't quite work out with FedEx and stuff this time. So thankfully in our hotel, mm-hmm. we had a landline that worked. You go mm-hmm. back to the old landline, they work. And so that's what I would, I would get that's back to the did. hotel and I called them. I'm like, all right, let's talk about our plan. It's like, okay, well, if you don't hear from us, then we you ended know, up, something. We ended up yeah. calling through Skype because we had a little bit of mm-hmm. cell service so we could make a call through Skype right and then get a hold of you know headquarters and figure out a plan so that so you just have to problem solve now Jen how many people when I'm looking at you in that live shot in the morning or on AMHQ how many other people are around you I know there's probably a cameraman how many people typically are with, it, with the crew yeah crew? so with your crew typically you're going to have your photographer you're going to have a producer and then you're going to have someone doing sound um, and that's typically it maybe you have one extra person sometimes to run a sat truck if you have a sat truck but these days most of the time we're going out with something called live view which uses cell signal to get the 
the signal back out, um, which, by the way, was real challenging in Hurricane Michael because there's no cell service uh, down there in the Panama City, Mexico Beach area. So uh, or very little anyway. And so it was very difficult to get our signal back out without a satellite truck. Um, and so a it's a small people, crew. I think on that, too, like we ended up getting a satellite truck. My phone was the only phone that worked due to the you know carrier situation. So everyone was using my phone yeah. and the satellite guy has to call the satellite desk to get on the bird, as we call it, on the satellite. And then you're good to go. Um, and if you had a satellite phone, you could use that to, for IFB. And a lot of people on Twitter, I was in front of a train that had been pushed over for I, I was on that. air for, I don't know, four or five hours or whatever it was that morning. Um, and a lot of people kept saying, all right, enough with the train. We've seen it. Go show us something else. What people don't understand is that we have either a big truck or an SUV with a satellite on top. You can't just drive just get power lines like you right. can't even get under these. Things. But that, let alone just I mean, you'd have to put the truck down, go set up somewhere else. That takes another hour or so, you know, and meanwhile, you've been up since two in the morning. And so, you know, where we end up parking, we, we can only show yeah. what is around us. And there's cords coming off the truck to our camera and cords coming off of the lights. So it's not like we can just and we would love to if we had the ability to do that, we would just drive around and show you everything. But we don't have that ability. And, yeah. And that's some really interesting sort of background logistics because I see that kind of criticism as well. But I think this is why this podcast is going to be so interesting for people to listen to, to get some of this insight. Chris, you had something. Um, and also the traffic. It's horrendous. We wanted to go right. two miles further, but the gas lines were two miles out. It was not moving. So we just literally, the neighborhood to our right, it all looked the same. The damage as far as, you know, where we were going to go to where we were. We just ended up pulling to neighborhood because we were, we were about 30 minutes out from our live shots. We just had to park up, stand, uh, you know, set up and just stay there wow. because the traffic wasn't moving and we would not been able to get on TV. Coming to the end of a really interesting podcast with three of my colleagues that were literally in the heat of the storm or in the midst of a one of the probably more destructive hurricanes we, we're going to see in the past yeah. 20 years. Sure. We're not going to see another hurricane, Michael. Well, I, I mean, this is what Well, Michael will get me. retired. Yeah, well, that's yes. what, that's, yeah. what, I, that's yeah. what I mean. Michael's name, name will right. get tired. I mean, but what's so wild is last year we had two landfalling Cat 4s with Irma and Harvey. And then before that, it had been since 2004 with yeah. Charlie. And before that, it had been since Hugo in 89. So this is another podcast. I'm setting up for your next podcast, Absolutely. Dr. Marshall. Are we going to see more intense hurricanes? Well, I think, Are we seeing a trend towards that? I think it's a conversation. We know that there's higher sea level rise, and we know the physics suggests that uh, or stronger or more intense uh, sea surface temperatures, warmer sea surface temperatures. There's something going on with the loop current I recently worried, or read about in the Gulf of Mexico. So I think we've got to scientifically probe that, but I think it's naive to ignore that possibility for sure. I want to get your final thoughts from each of you as you sort of put a bow on your experience with uh, Hurricane Michael. Jen, any final thoughts? Yeah, both, both with Florence and with Michael. Um, and, and I do think our communication was great, but I'm always looking for ways to improve it. And I think, you know, one, making sure people know sort of the, the range of impacts. What is the worst case scenario, right? What is the forecast? And then could it be worse, right? And so talking about that in our communication beforehand and then also where to evacuate to and especially in Florence more than Michael I saw people evacuating into the areas that later flooded and so I think that in the future we can add that in, into um, our pre-storm communication good point and, and you know I agree with Jen on all this stuff um, but I also just want to say like they're going to rebuild 
you know, it's going, we saw that we've seen the Andrews, we've seen the Katrinas, they're all rebuilt. And so I just try to tell people there, I know it's so hard. You get hopeless, you get depressed, like seriously depressed. Um, it's, it's going to get better though. I know they can't see that right now. And I understand that. And I don't blame them for that, but I, it will, I promise you, you will get better. I agree completely. Well, I think of of Greensburg, Kansas, when they got destroyed by that tornado and they came back and built a whole green city. I I see a potential like that from place like Mexico beach. Um, and we, uh, you know, I, I got to go to Mississippi Gulf coast and you can barely tell a hurricane hit, uh, given after all they went through with Katrina, but they are building homes stronger and sturdy. I saw that house that was like, I think 35, 40 feet Mm -hmm. on stilts. It was unreal. Yeah, Very resilient home. I saw that. Oh, unreal. And, uh, you know, I, I can see Mexico beach kind of doing the same because people want to live where there's disasters, it's not like no one's going to move stop back. It. Yeah, yeah no not, one's going to not change. move back to Mexico Beach. It's beautiful it's piece beautiful of coastline. coastline. Absolutely, yes. sure. So yeah, so the the lessons learned in terms of how we plan for future storms, the resiliency of the homes. I think another issue that really concerned me with Michael is that it had been a while since that part of Florida had seen this magnitude of a storm. Well, they had never storm. seen a Cat Four. Never seen a Cat Four at all. And so you've got a lot of people that have moved in there, some, and even people that have been there hadn't seen a Cat Four. Yeah. So I, I think the experiences that uh, were gain from the storm. Really right in that area yeah. too. It's like majority of the storms there were like Panama City to Pensacola. Right. Yeah. Yes. Like that, Opal, yeah. for example. Right. Where they're like, oh, we made it through Opal. I'm like, uh, but that didn't go through St. Joe. You right. know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, Right. So a lot of people and a lot of people compare, and I know you can't compare, but a lot of people were comparing this to what Nate was last year. Right. And, and in some ways, the, the, some had some similarities. It had a few I, similarities. Yeah, but I think your point is valid, and I think uh, that you can't compare storms. They all have their own personalities, but each one we can learn for. But more importantly, I think the coverage and information that you all are providing, I think, is beneficial. We want everyone to be safe and covering it. So these are professionals. Always keep that in mind when you see them out there, and uh, don't try to mimic it. But that's where we're going to have to end today. Thanks, Marshall. Yeah, uh, thank, thank you. you. Oh, do we have thank to end? You. We do have yeah. to end, but don't worry. I, I love the deep dive. Welcome back anytime because we can really deep dive on some of these conversations on the Weather Geeks Stop podcast. Church, um, Dr. Marshall <laughs> Shepard from the University of Georgia, and this was the Weather Geeks podcast.